there is a party, a banquet, a feast, a celebration, and the guests have been invited. Have you been invited to the party? Are you on the guest list? Is everyone called to this party? Or are only a select few invited? Hmm. Something to think about indeed. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, our souls inspire and lighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Be with us. Speak your word anew. Move among us and move us. In the name of your beloved. Amen. There's a party, a banquet, a feast, a celebration, and the guests have been invited. Today, we continue our sermon series on the politics of Jesus. And I want to thank Dr. Joe for giving me this opportunity to preach the word. And I thank you, New Church family, for welcoming me as your student pastor amidst a pandemic and during this time of virtual worship. And I hope one day to thank you and greet you in person. But for now, let's talk about this party in this parable, which according to Jesus is like the realm of God. A king, Matthew's Jesus tells us, is throwing a party, but not just any party, a wedding banquet for his son. Imagine all the preparations that have been made for this special day. If there's a wedding banquet, that must mean there would have been a wedding. There is joy in the air and the king wants all his friends and family to celebrate with him. When the king's enslaved servants, and now some translations use servant rather than slave, but I think the word slave, or as I put it, enslaved servant is more accurate, and I want to pause for a moment to think about these words. A whole sermon series could be delivered and whole books could be written about Jesus' use of slave language in the Gospels or the use of slave language and logic elsewhere in the New Testament or the reality of enslaved peoples in the ancient world. And indeed, books have been written on these very topics. But for now, I want to point out the reality of enslaved persons in the ancient world. I want to acknowledge their existence, and I also want to recognize Jesus's unironic use of such language and metaphors in his parables in Matthew's Gospel and in the other Gospels. It's not okay, and we should be disturbed by this aspect of the Gospel's narratives. This should trouble us, especially because we are trying to emulate the way of Jesus in our own lives, a way which, for, which is for many people the way of love. And, as I think we can all agree, enslaving people is antithetical to the way of love. And thankfully, the slave logic that exists in our sacred scriptures is considered anathema to many people today, religious or not. I say all of this so that we do not forget the sometimes troubling aspects of our sacred texts, even as we study this parable more closely. So, 
back to the party. The slaves have been sent out to invite the guests. But the first wave of invitations is dismissed. The folks don't come to the party. Why? Were they busy? Had they other commitments? Were they upset with the king? Maybe they didn't like the bride or the bride's family? Who knows? What we do know is that in this story, the invited guests just didn't come. But the king persisted. He sent his slaves out again with a specific message. The dinner is ready. There's an ox and calves. In our day, a host might say, we're having steak and lobster or caviar and so or something fancy. Think of special cuisines from your own cultures or the most expensive dishes one might order at a restaurant or even prepare at home. All of that and more have been prepared for this party. Imagine your favorite foods and drinks, all of it, ready and waiting for you, or rather, for the invited guests. Despite the promise of a lavish feast, the guests remain unpersuaded. They had other priorities, business meetings, and animals to feed, apparently. These particular guests probably didn't feed their own animals. They likely stood around monitoring their enslaved workers do the work. In any case, the invited guests must have been so upset by the persistent invitation because some of these guests, Jesus tells us, seized the slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. Physical violence and murder. Wow. What would drive invited guests to literally shoot the messengers? What a strange, even confusing, discomforting parable. Remember, there's a party going on that, in Jesus' view, is like the realm of God. That's the background. And guests have been invited. But lurking behind the merriment is a trail of violence that begets even more violence. Because after the slaves are killed, the king, in a fit of rage, sends his army to destroy the invited guests and to burn their city. So, so far, we have joy, merriment, a lavish banquet, but we also have physical violence, murder, more murder, and burned cities. So basically, we've got a small war on our hands because folks refused to come to the king's party. At this point, would we even want to go to this party? But still, Jesus tells us there's a party, and guests have been invited. Amidst chaos and death, there's this party. So the king has other slaves, and at this point, these enslaved people might be thinking the king must be out of his mind if he decides to send more of them out to invite people who might end up killing them. But the king, because he is the king, has his slaves invite anyone they can find, good people and bad people, according to Jesus, because there must be guests for this special wedding feast. 
And indeed, this time, the slaves are successful. The party has finally has guests, and the merriment we can imagine was finally had by the groom, the bride, their families, and all the guests. But once again, at this party, where all, all are now invited, Everyone who did not make the list the first time made the list this time. At this party, something else is amiss. The king notices that one of the formerly not invited but now invited guests did not have the proper wedding attire. And this guest's lack of appropriate attire so enraged the king that he had the guest thrown out. Jesus says that the guest is thrown out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which sounds to me at least like the complete opposite of a lavish wedding feast. Finally, in an even stranger twist, at least to me, because remember, there's a lavish wedding banquet, a party to end all parties that's happening in the background a party to which all are now invited. How strange that Jesus would end this parable with these words. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few are chosen. And indeed, some who are called don't even get to enjoy the party because they're wearing the wrong clothes. On the one hand, there is an inclusiveness in the third invitation that we read in the parable. The king says, in effect, if the ones I really wanted to be here don't want to be here, then I'm going to invite anyone else, everyone else, good, bad, anyone. My issue with the king's third invitation is that I wonder what makes a potential guest good. And what makes a potential guest bad? I also wonder, and I want you to take notice of this, the slaves, the enslaved people, were going around inviting folks. They were losing their lives in the process of inviting those folks. But we get no indication whatsoever that they too, that the slaves were also invited to this lavish wedding feast, to this party. We know that the enslaved servants would have been present to serve the king, his family, and his guests. What is not clear is whether they, too, were guests. As it is presented in this parable, no. The enslaved remain enslaved. And while some commentators might read the slave figure in this parable as representing the prophets that God had sent over many years, I'm not willing to let Matthew or Matthew's Jesus off the hook for using this kind of language. The slaves remain slaves. They have not been invited to this feast. So there's a big party. And all of a sudden, the guest list is wide open. And perhaps those who would have at one time been maligned or discarded or dismissed are now given a place of prominence at this feast. They are given a seat at the banquet table. I think we know what it's like not to be invited 
not to be accepted, not to belong, to grow up in churches or in families or in communities or in countries that refuse to accept us, that refuse to know us. And so when we find these places, these places and spaces where we are invited, where we are accepted, where we belong completely, where we can be our true selves, we rejoice we party, we celebrate, we revel in the love of Jesus that compels God's people to create these special places, these special spaces for people like us. But at the same time, precisely because we know what it's like to be left out, to be dismissed, to be forgotten, we have to look around and ask ourselves, who's not here? The king has finally invited us, yes, and amen, but has the king invited everyone? Everyone? If we're going by this parable, the answer is no. If we take off our rose-colored Jesus goggles, we might see the missing people in this parable, the ones who don't get a voice, who aren't given a voice. Given the ubiquity of slavery in the ancient world, it's no wonder that the writer of Matthew's gospel, it's no wonder that Matthew's Jesus can't even imagine a space, a place where literally all God's children can be present in their fully embodied selves. So on the one hand, Jesus demonstrates a politics of inclusiveness, and thank God for that. But on the other hand, Jesus equally demonstrates a politics of exclusion. Many, but not all, are called, and few, few are chosen. And there's a party. I think this is one place, one space, one gap in the parable that we can step into with our knowledge and our justice-oriented ethos. We can step in to help Matthew's Jesus along, to help this particular version of Jesus get to the place where he says, which he does, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Isn't that a gorgeous line of scripture? I'm sure you can recall the way of love as described by Jesus. Jesus said to the lawyer who had asked which commandment in the law is the greatest, and Jesus said this, You shall love the Holy One, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. Gorgeous. These verses come later on in this very chapter, and which Dr. Joe will preach about in a couple of weeks. Biblical scholars tell us that it wasn't until the 20th century that the church began to think of this concept of neighbor as being someone other than the people in the pews or in the chairs next to us in church. Up until the 20th century, this notion of loving one's neighbor meant loving our Christian neighbor. 
It wasn't until the 20th century that an ethos of radical inclusion developed in many traditions, one that we like to talk about and practice in our very own denomination and right here in this church. And keep in mind that loving our neighbor is not about being nice, although that's certainly part of it. This kind of love according to New Testament scholar Warren Carter, is more about societal vision and practices of justice. And oh my, we could certainly use even more practices of justice and liberation in this country today. In this particular parable, Jesus gets some things right, but he gets other things wrong, in my view. He misses the mark, and that's okay. I can hang with a Jesus who sometimes makes mistakes, because we often miss the mark ourselves. We make mistakes. We sin. We say we welcome everyone, but I don't know that we always do. I don't know that we always live up to our inclusive, justice-oriented ethos. Because the world is as it is, this idea of radical inclusion and extravagant welcome will always be aspirational. And what a lovely, necessary aspiration it is. What an important aspiration on which we are constantly at work. We will always want to get to that point where we are worshiping with one another, regardless of racial or ethnic background in one community, but we're not there yet. We still miss the mark, but we want to always move forward, to always take one step in front of the other to get to that space of extravagant welcome so that the feast that we prepare, symbolic or otherwise, in church, or in our homes, or in our communities, so that that feast, that banquet, that party of inclusion and justice and liberation and love will indeed welcome all people. The ideological formulations in this parable may have been relevant for Matthew's community of believers, and it may have made perfect sense in the ancient world, certainly with regard to the enslavement of marginalized peoples, which was ubiquitous, accepted, and dare I say it, normal. But today... In this moment, our moment, in the year of Our Lady and gender non-binary celestial beings, it is not. Thus, I would like to amend the last line of this parable to say this, and with apologies to the writer of Matthew's Gospel. Many are called to do the work of justice, to do the work of love, to do the work of radical inclusion, to do the work of extravagant welcome, all of which is part of the realm of God, and we are all chosen. Many are called, and I hope that many will actually come to this lavish feast of justice and love and liberation. I hope that many will come to embody their divine chosenness. That is my hope, and I hope that it is also yours. In the words of Reverend Quinn Caldwell regarding Jesus' last meal with his disciples, a meal that would be memorialized for thousands of years and shared among millions of people, the first time 
Jesus sat down to that meal. Among those gathered there were one who would doubt him, one who would deny him, one who would betray him, and they would all leave him alone before the night was over, and he knew it. Still, Jesus sat down and ate with them. If Jesus ate with them, surely he's ready to eat with us, baptized or not, confessed or not, Christian or not, sure or not, believer or not, saint or sinner or a little of both. All you have to be to eat at this table is hungry. That my friends, is the feast to which we are invited, the party, the banquet at which we will always be on the guest list. There's a party. There's a banquet, a feast, a celebration, and all, and I do mean all, are invited. Amen. <laughs>